All right, take your Bible, turn to Mark chapter 12. Mark chapter 12. I want to start a whole new series of thoughts we're going to be in the next few weeks. I'm going to call this series The Best Way to Live. The Best Way to Live. And we're going to be in Mark 12, 28 through 34 over the next few weeks. Let's talk today about the Great Commandment. The Great Commandment. So we're in Mark 12. We're approaching the cross very quickly in Mark 12. Jesus is about to go to the cross and pay for the sins of the world. At this time in Mark 12, the Pharisees and Sadducees and scribes are pressing in on Jesus, questioning him. They're trying to, to catch him in his words. They're trying to, uh, to, to trip him up or to what they would maybe say expose him as a fraud is really what they're trying to do. And this Mark 12 section we're going to be in, is, it comes out of one of those questions. So we're going to examine that question and Jesus' response. And that question just gave us a world of information about ourselves and about the transformation process that God wants in our lives. All right, so you ready? Let's start in verse 28 of Mark 12, and let's read to 34. Then one of the scribes came, and having heard them reasoning together, perceiving that he, Jesus, had answered them well, he asked Jesus, which is the first commandment of all? Jesus answered him, the first of all the commandments is, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. And you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and with all your strength. This is the first commandment. And the second like it is this. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. And there is no other commandment greater than these. So the scribe said to Jesus, Well said, teacher. You have spoken the truth, for there is one God and there is no other but he. And to love him with all the heart, all the understanding, and with all the soul, with all the strength, and to love one's neighbor as oneself is more than all the whole burnt offerings and sacrifices. And now when Jesus saw that he answered wisely, he said to the man, You are not far from the kingdom of God. But after that, everybody shut up and left him alone. <laughs> no one dared ask him any more questions. I mean, let's pray. Lord, we just need your help. Holy Spirit, just speak to us. Speak through us today. Just pray you just cause your word to be illuminated to us. And Lord, help us to grasp this for our lives. Not just in our own understanding, but Lord, in our, in our walk. Help us to walk out this great commandment that you talked about. Holy Spirit, we're going to need your strength. We're going to need your help. We're going to need your grace and empowerment. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. All right, so the great commandment. The great commandment was what? To love God, right? And, and with, with great intensity, with everything you've got, basically. Love him with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And that great commandment ties in with what Jesus does just before he ascends into heaven. He gives us what we call the great commission. In Matthew 28, 18 through 20, Jesus says this. Now listen to how it ties in together. And Jesus came and spoke to them, saying, All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them, teaching people all over the world, Teaching them, that include us here at Mosley Bridge, teaching them to observe all things that I've commanded you. And lo, I am with you always, even to the ends of the age. Amen. So see that? Teaching them to observe all things that I commanded. What we just saw was the great commandment. This is the great commission. And part of that commission is, a major part of it, is for us to, to teach. To teach not just that there is a great commandment, but literally teach you how to live out that great commandment. That's what we're going to try to do over the next few weeks. So the question was this, what is the first 
commandment of all. Out of all the 613 listed laws out of the law of Moses, out of all the laws of Torah, what is the best one? What is the chief one? What is the primary commandment? If we could all boil it all down into one thing and the primary thing, what would that be, Jesus? And Jesus responds with a quote from Deuteronomy 6, 4, and 5. It's called the Shema. The Shema is a Jewish prayer. They, they pray it every day. Every day in the morning and in the evening. Jesus would have been accustomed to this himself. They pray it every day. Hear, O Israel. The Lord, that's where Shema comes from, the word hear. It means to listen. And not just listen as if you're taking in information, but listening as if you're intending to obey or walk out what is being said. So this is the idea. Live this way. As if God is the love of your life. That's the great commandment. And my mind just races to all sorts of passages about loving God and worshiping God and following Him and all that kind of thing. I, I, I go to Revelation. Remember the letters that he wrote to the seven churches in, in the book of Revelation? He, he said to one church, he said, you have left your first love. Hmm. It's really important to God that we learn to love Him and do it from a sincere heart. Now, this idea of command, this is the greatest commandment. What, what is a command or commandment? Now, we often think of a command or a commandment of someone in authority kind of barking out orders at us, like a coach, a, a general, a teacher, a parent, somebody who says, you do this or else. I, I kind of get that picture when I hear the word command. But the Hebrew idea is a little bit, I don't know, it's a little bit more palatable sometimes, I guess I would say. The Hebrew idea of the word command or commandment is that this is the best path Best path you can choose. This is the greatest command. This is the best path that you can choose for your life. This is the direction that you should take. This is the idea. It's not just a, 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 like barking out an order. Well, God certainly can do that. But God is saying to us, this is the direction that I want your life. This, this, this is the, the instruction that I want to give you for your life. He gives it as the best solution to our given situation is to love God with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength. So you can choose the good path, the best path, or you can choose another path that leads to curse and chaos. That takes me to Deuteronomy 30. Moses, these are his final words. He, he, he kind of goes there. He, he goes into this choice idea. Because see, the idea is not you, do, you got to do that. You better do this or else. Now there is an or else. But there's always a choice with God. I mean, you can go back all the way to the garden and see that God gave us a choice, can't you? He gave us a choice whether to choose blessing or cursing, whether to choose him or we could choose to eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. We, we can do that kind of thing. So God, the command, I'm saying this, the command does not take away our choice. The command is to give us direction so that we can make the right choice. God has empowered us like that. So Deuteronomy 30, 19 and 20 says this. Moses says, I call heaven and earth as witnesses today against you, that I have set before you life and death, blessing and cursing. Therefore, choose life that both you and your descendants may live, that you may love the Lord your God. This is how, what's what life looks like, that you love the Lord your God, that you may obey his voice, and that you may cling to him, for he is your life and the length of your days. And that you may dwell in the land which the Lord swore to your fathers, to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, to give them. You see that? It's not just a command. You, you do this. This is, 
It's, it's a command that's given to us as instruction to say, this is the way you need to choose. Right? So choose blessing or choose cursing. That's a big responsibility for us to choose. Because we don't always make the right choice, do we? So this great commandment, I want you to hear in Jesus' words, I want you to hear Jesus saying, this is the best way to live. The greatest thing that you and I can do with our life is to love God with all that we are. You understand that? that this is what Jesus said. He's saying this is the blessed way or this is the cursed way. You, you can make a choice. But the blessed way, the greatest way, the greatest thing, the greatest direction that your life can take is that you love God because that's the way humans thrive. We thrive when God is first and primary in our lives. Everything else lends to chaos. This is the secret to eternal success. This is the secret to fulfillment. This is the secret to peace. This is the secret to joy. This is the secret to everything that you long for that's right and holy as a human being. This is the secret. Live the best way you can. Not the best way just you can, but the best way you can in this direction, Jesus says. All right? So love God. The command is to love God. The direction is to love God. Not, not just any God. Not just like pulling him out of this pantheon of gods or pulling him out of uh, some choice that you may have been raised in into another country, but, but loving the one true God. And there's only one. Loving the one true God, our creator, the God of the Bible, the God of creation, the, as, as one scholar said, the uncreated creator. Loving that God. Loving him. So love, let's, let's kind of unpack that just a little bit. Love. And hey, by the way, did, did we get those handouts? Are they, they stapled together? All right, can I get a couple guys to take those handouts and just pass them out to everybody? All right, I'm going to be there in just a moment. Did you get them all, baby? All right, thank you. Thank you. I just saw that and thought about it. I, I meant to give you a handout this morning when you came in the door. So love God. Let's, let's unpack the idea of love because love is, is like one of those most overused words in the English language, isn't it? So we love, we love our spouse. We love our children. Uh, we love our pets. I, I love Reese's Peanut Butter Cups. You understand this? Uh, I love, uh, we, we love the color orange. Um, <laughs> are you listening? Are you listening to me? Uh, <laughs> oh, we love the color crimson, I guess I would maybe say, huh? So we're told to love God, and we, we've got all this baggage wrapped up in that word love, okay? Now, what, what in the world does it mean? Because we're told to love God. Do I love God like I love Reese's Peanut Butter Cups? No, it's got to be something different, something a little bit more dynamic than that, something a little bit more depth to it, right? All right, so, so this idea of love. What, let me just give you this definition, we'll just kind of keep building on it over the weeks ahead. The idea of love is to do what is best for another. To do what is best for another. To seek the benefit or welfare of another. All right, now, so, so now we're talking about God. So really what I'm doing when I love God is I, I want what's best for God. Jesus kind of taught us to pray like that, didn't he? When we pray, our Father which art in heaven... Hallowed or honored be your name. That's what's best for God is that his name be lifted up and it be glorified and his character be seen and his nature be seen and who he is be seen by the entire world. That's what's best for God is to build up his reputation in the right, right kind of way. 
That's what's best for God. That's what that love God looks like. So what is best for God in this kind of context? Later we'll see what's best for our neighbor. Right now, this, what, what would benefit God the best? What would benefit him? What, what would, you know, seems kind of strange to us that we could bring benefit to God. Because he's like everything. He has no needs. But the psalmist teaches us that we have the power to bless him. I know he blesses us. We like that part. But you and I have the power to bless him. We, we have the power to bless. The psalmist says this. Oh, bless the Lord, oh my soul. You ever thought about that? That when we were singing this morning. Now you could do it anytime. But I'm just talking about it in our context today. You, you, when you were singing this morning. You had the, the, the privilege and, and the possibility to bless the heart of God with your own words. The fruit of your lips. The sacrifice of praise. Singing him. Singing to him about what we just sang, about how good he is. And how thankful you are. You know, God hears that. God hears that. And he says, I like that. That blesses me. So this idea of love, that, that kind of goes into that kind of idea that we have the potential, the power to bless the creator of everything. That's like, that blows my mind sometimes. So this idea of love, if you love someone, you want what's best for them. And you do whatever's in your power to make that happen. Right? All right, so that, that, that may entail sacrifice, that entails giving, serving, caring for someone, tenderness, kindness, patience, seeking to understand them, all the sharing and probably a list of a hundred other words we could put underneath the category of love and action. It involves all that and much, much more. Now here, this, this idea of loving God, there, there's a huge problem with it. There's a huge problem with us loving God, is we don't know how. We don't know how, because what, what happened in, in our life before Christ, what happened is we lost our connection with God. Sin brought this barrier, this, this gaping chasm between me and God, and, and sin caused us to be disconnected. And my willful choices cause me to go my own way and leave this relationship. So we've got a problem. We, we, we started loving ourselves instead of loving God. We started loving our own way and our own fleshly desires. That became the focus of our lives. Not loving God. It was loving what I love. Loving what I want to do. Loving my own desires. And beloved, this is where Jesus comes in. There's this gap, this disconnect between me and God. Jesus comes to mediate this broken relationship. And he comes as the mediator between God and man, between you and God. He, he comes as the mediator and he steps in between. And he, he, he if, if we can use a word like this, he, he negotiates. He's already made his negotiation or his covenant with God. He negotiates with us and he, he, he pulls on us. He convicts us by the Holy Spirit. And he draws us into it and says, this is the relationship you need. I'm here to bring you into fellowship with God, into communion. I'm here to do that. Jesus steps into that gap to heal the relationship by dying for our sins. And by giving us a way to be forgiven, Jesus builds a bridge that looks like a cross so that I could get across, so to speak, and reconnect with God. So now, I can see what love looks like. I can kind of see some of what maybe God wants. 
And now through Jesus, I get reconnected. I get connected back to the most important person in existence, and that's God. Now listen to this, 1 John 4, 9 through 11. 1 John 4 is loaded up. I love it. You, you can stay and preach a month and never hit the bottom of 1 John 4. In this, the love of God was manifested toward us, that God has sent his only begotten son into the world that we might live through him. In this is love. Not that we love God. See, because we didn't know how. See, that's what the command is to love God. But, not, but this is love, not that we love God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation or the payment or the satisfaction for our sin, the atonement, for our sins. And beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. So what's 1 John telling us? 1 John 4 telling us that God loves us. And this is how it's proved, Jesus. You want to know how much God loves you? See Jesus. And then we fall in love with Jesus. This is, how, this is how we get reconnected. Then we fall in love with Jesus, and Jesus introduces us to our Heavenly Father. And he brings the relationship back. And now this, this love of Jesus, and now I love Jesus, and Jesus says, you love the Father like I love the Father. We'll all be one family together. And he reconnects us. And all of this love that's been poured out upon my life through Christ now enables me, teaches me, empowers me to love God. Does that make sense to you? Because now, see, I see love personified. I see love that reached out to me. I grab his hand. I'm loved. And thereby, I can love. And I love God. I fall in love with God. Jesus helps me to fall in love with my Father. That's what he came to do. He came to show us who the Father was. And that empowers me to love God. It empowers me to love people. So now, once Jesus connects us back to God, once Jesus forgives you of your sins, that, that's just the beginning point. You understand that? that that's not the end-all, be-all. I know most of our sermons, it seems like, over the last hundred years have been about the forgiveness of sins. That is hugely important. It is a huge... A landmark in our lives. And with that, we can't go any further without that. But it's, it's, a, it's a new birth. Isn't that what Jesus told John? I'm mean, excuse me, Nicodemus in, in John chapter 3. It's a new birth. And if you if you got a new birth, Lord, somebody put a rock there or something. I tripped on it. I'm coming your way, put Look out. It's, it's like a new birth. When, when your sins are forgiven and you come into the kingdom, it's like a new beginning. That's just the beginning of the relationship. We, we seem to get stuck in the forgiveness of sins, but that's just, you know why God forgives you your sins? So he can be loved by you and love you. And so we can have this wonderful relationship that's going to last all of my days and all of my eternity. So once Jesus connects us back to God, we have the potential to begin to live as God intended us to live. So I've got to relearn now how to live. I'm a new creation. I'm a new person now. I've got to learn how to live. And our whole life has to go through this transformation process. We've got to go through this growth process. We call that growth process discipleship. And now we begin to get positioned to live out this great commandment. All right? Let me break some of this down for you. Jesus begins to break down this idea of loving God. Did you notice how he broke it down? And he's teaching us that the goal of the believer's life is to, is to be pleasing to the Lord. It's to love Him. It's, it's to do what's best for God. Keep that in your mind. 
It's to love God. The goal of the believer's life is to do what is best for God. We say it all kinds of different ways. To do what God wants. To do God's will. To fulfill my calling. We say it all kinds of different ways, right? But the idea is, is that I want to be my life. I want my life to be pleasing to God. And Jesus breaks it down. He says this. Okay? Go to this little diagram right here. You've got, you got notes. I, I put the notes up there because you may not be able to see this diagram real tight. It's kind of small right here. Couldn't make it any bigger. But you got you got some of the handout right there. The, these little circles and all these things, the next five or six slides, all entail this. Jesus does this. Jesus breaks it down. He, he, he breaks it down. He says, if you're going to love God, he said, he, he breaks down the parts of you. He, he gives us four different parts right here. Of your life, of who you are, of you. Four different parts. And he says, I want you to love God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, with all your strength. Right? So he breaks it down. So, so Jesus is rebuilding us, basically. He, he's trying to show us. I, I got to thinking about it, okay? We're, we're, we're going to build a 1968 Mustang Fastback. Ooh, yeah. That sounds good, don't it? Mm -hmm. That's my kind of deal. We're going, we're, we're going to rebuild it. We're, we're going to maybe, let's say it like this. Let's use a Bible word. We're going to restore it. What are you going to have to do? You, you're going to have to take the thing apart, aren't you? You're going to take the thing apart and all the, all the pieces that need to be repaired, some of them need to be replaced. Some of them may have been modified and, and tweaked in the wrong direction. You've got to get that all, all that out of there. But we're going back to what it's supposed to look like. We're going back to the restoration of a 1968 Mustang Fastback. I like to say that. You don't think I don't like them? You look on my, my feed. I got, I got Mustang culture, Mustang this. I like them. I like them. I've had two of them. And if you've got a 68 Fastback that you would like to donate to the church. <laughs> Never mind. All right. So we're, we're going to rebuild this car. We're going to have to take every piece apart, tweak it, clean it, put it back where it's supposed to be. And we do that in every part. We've restored the vehicle, right? Jesus is telling us in every part of us, it has to be, he, 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 he takes it apart for us to show us what it is. And he, and he references all sorts of Bible truths, which we're going to kind of pick everything apart over the next few weeks. Now, here, here's you right here, right? This is just a, a rough, flat diagram of you. You're lots more complicated than this, but this is a diagram just to kind of help us understand. All right, and I got this, this model from Dallas Willard. If you'd like to read his book, Renovation of the Heart, it is absolutely worth your time. Renovation of the Heart and The Divine Conspiracy, I highly recommend both of them by Dallas Willard. Okay? God bless you, Dallas. I can't wait to see you in heaven. So, so Jesus said, you shall love the Lord. Your God. So you shall do what's best for God with all of your heart. Okay? With all of your soul. We'll talk about that in just a minute. With all of your mind. And with all of your strength, which is the word strength, we'll get to that. It's the idea of muchness. It has to do with everything, okay? Not just, not just bodily strength and things like that, but it has to do with like your resources, your possessions, and everything that's in your influence, whatever God's given you as gifts and talents and abilities, your muchness is everything that's around you and, and, and for you, all right? So th this, is, this is you. Now, you got you right here. You got a social setting that influences your life. Your peers, your acquaintances, your, your job contacts, all those kind of things, all that social setting, it's really big, okay? It's really big in our life. Social media would be in that kind of idea. All right? And then, then you got the soul that just kind of pulls, pulls it all together. Then out here, this is you, okay? Now out here, you got God. 
Okay, you, you've got the spirit world, which can be all kinds of things. You've got creation, and you've got all these other people that live outside of you. Okay? Now, let's, let's see what we've got. Let's break them down just a little bit. This is the heart. Other places call it the spirit, or maybe the will. This is, this is where you make your decisions. This is your decision maker right here. Your, your heart. The Bible talks about heart all the time. It uses the word spirit. Sometimes it uses the word soul, and sometimes they're all interchangeable. So it's kind of hard theologically to kind of put it in a place. But like the heart, it, that's, that's like the matrix of who you are. That's like the CEO. That's, that's your CEO. That's your decision maker. You know CEO, chief executive officer? That, this, is, this is where when you are forgiven of your sins, this is where fellowship with God is established in your heart. We say it like that. It's not a biblical phrase, but we say it like, I, I gave my heart to Jesus. We say it like that, don't we? Or Jesus came into my heart. So what do we do? We, we, we gave Jesus our will. We made a choice to follow him. We do that in the center of who we are. Now, it's not heart like, like the organ heart. It's not that. It's, it's the heart like, like the essence of who I really am. You understand the difference? You know what I'm talking about? Sure, you got, got all that. This is where fellowship with God is established in the heart. All right? The heart's primary purpose is to lead, to be the leader of all of you into loving God and loving people. That's the whole purpose. That's why God gave you a will. God gave you a heart. It only works properly. It only works properly when there, there is a good relationship between you and God. Your spirit, man, only functions properly when it is in tune and in communion with God. You got it? All right, so now, now what about the mind? The mind. You got all this in your notes. You can go kind of study that and kind of mull over it. And again, there are other models that are a little bit more simplistic than that. We, we may even use some of those later. Now you got the mind. This is, this is where we're the freest. We, we can dream. We can think through things, right? You, you can handcuff my hands, but you can't lock up my mind. You can't do it. I can't, I, that's where I'm as free as a bird, right? I can think all the way to Pluto and back. I can think about what could, should, or maybe I should do or shouldn't do. I, my thoughts are in there, in my mind. My intellect is there. All of my feelings, all of my ideas and plans and all the things I'm thinking about. My memories are loaded up in my mind. Some of them are great. Some of them are tragic. Some of them are, are difficult and some of them are bad. But they're all loaded up in my mind. My imagination and my creativity is loaded up right there in my mind. And the mind's job is to work with the will to make right decisions upon my life. To help me. To think through things. To imagine things. To use my memories and experiences to make a wise decision along with the Word of God. It's in my mind that I put the Word of God. And I'm renewed and I think about God's Word and I think about God's ways. And I put that in my mind. And my mind works with my will to hopefully... Lead me in the right path that God would want me to go into. All right? So now, then we got the body. All right, go to the next one. We got the body. All right, the body. That's the thing that's hard to get up in the morning. That's the thing that you're waiting to go somewhere to feed it right now, right? You've already looked at your clock and see that it's like 11.58. Your body is telling you it's time, right? And it's time for the preacher. And your mind's starting to mess you up and say, the preacher needs to stop talking now. It's time to go. <laughs> So the body, this is our energy source. This is, this is our place of strength. This is our house. The body is really important to God. There are some traditions that teach that God's just interested in your spirit. That's not true. Jesus paid for all of you, body, soul, and spirit. He's very interested in what you do with your body. 
In fact, so much so that the apostle tells us that you are to take your body and present it to God. That's your body. You're to take your body, your hands, your feet, everything about you. You're to take your body and give it to God. And give it to Him like a gift. My body belongs to you. Huh. Your body runs mostly by habits, drives. Some of them may not be so, so well or disciplined. The body is made of dust and it's empowered by the life and breath of God. Your body. Okay? It's our unique gift. There's nobody else on the planet like you. It's your unique gift. Your body is your unique gift. Hmm. All right, so now, go back to the social dynamics. All right, so we got the heart, we got the mind, we got the body. Now what about the social dynamics? They're big, aren't they? It's big. You heard the term peer pressure? You heard that kind of deal? Isn't that a for real thing? Your social dynamics. You're raising kids, you know that that is a big deal. Because at about the age of 12, 13, 14, something like that, they stop listening to you, mom and dad, and they start listening to all their peers. And they get all this other information coming in. And it gets kind of gets kind of squirrely going. Mm -hmm. I know what they do at their house, but this ain't their house. You know, they get, you have those conversations all the time. Right? I've done, been there, done that. <laughs> social dynamics. God is to be our ultimate social dynamic. God is to be that, but that's rarely the case for people. And it's getting less and less in people's lives. It, it used to be, even in my lifetime, I remember that the church used to be the hub and center for everything that pers a, pers a Christian did. It used to be. Now, that, you can still go do what you want to do, go on vacation, all that kind of stuff. But, but used to be, the church used to be the center hub. And what was that idea about? Well, well God is everything. That's how the synagogues were built in throughout the, the, the Jewish towns. The, the synagogue was like the hub. Why? Because we, they wanted to put God at the center of all their social dynamics. It was the community center. It was the place where people met for the word of God. It was a place where they socialized. It's a place where some of their politics were held and things they worked out together. All right, because God was to be at the center of everything. All those social dynamics, it involves our closest relationships, our peers, Various forms of media, it might be television, it might be that phone, all those social media things we've got going on nowadays. It's all the culture that we're in, all that surrounding culture. Maybe our small culture right here, and then the broader culture. And how many know the world has gotten real small? It's gotten real small when it comes to social. We can know what's going on in, in Iraq and Iran like that nowadays. So that all plays a part. And then we got the soul. We got the soul. The soul is, is the seat of the personality. It's the seat of your character. In a lot of ways, it's, it's who you are. In a lot of ways, the, the, the soul and the spirit cannot be separated. It interacts with every part of you to bring it all together to create your life. That's your personality. The Bible uses this word soul to describe who you are. I mean, Jesus said it like this, what would it profit a man if he gains the whole world? And loses his own soul. Hmm. Then the psalmist refers to the soul. He says this. He restores my soul. So God wants to do a work in our soul. And Jesus said that. Love God with all your soul. What does that mean? We need to find out. We need to find out. All right. And then we got God and all these others out there. We got God here. God is to be our primary influencer. This is on the ideal. God is to be our primary influencer. He, he is to influence every part of us. He is to have the final say in every part of us. That's how we were created. Our lives are meant to be centered on Him, and they're meant to be led by Him. 
You got that? We understand God to be the source of all life. We understand Him to be the source of all wisdom, all blessing, all power. We understand Him to be the source of all peace. And we understand that we are to center and focus our lives upon Him and that we are accountable to Him and that one day we will stand before Him and answer Him. Answer to him. Hmm? But God's not the only person out there. He's the, he should be the most important, but He's not the only. You've got the whole spirit world that's out there. The Bible teaches us that there, there are good spiritual forces and there are dark spiritual forces that are, that are stealing, killing, and destroying. Then you got all of creation. It has quite an effect on us. Tim, Tim, creation has a big effect on us. Like the weather, it has a big effect on us. What did you do yesterday? You didn't do nothing. Why? Because it was raining and cloudy. And, and, you know, it looked like it was 6.30 at night in the middle of the day yesterday, didn't it? So what does that do? It, all creation, from the good to the bad. And you also go outside, and you woke up this morning, and you're like, somebody sent me a picture of the sunshine, the sunrise this morning. And I, and I was like, thank goodness, that's what it looks like. Amen. But that has a big effect all of creation. I, you know what? When I get down and depressed and feel locked in and closed in, guess what I do? I go take a step out into his creation, and it just kind of does something for me. It's important. It's an important influence in our lives. And, it, and it's bearing witness to God, too. So I, I can go out in creation and fellowship with him. Now, of course, I can do it in my home. I can do it privately, riding down the road. But there's something about getting out in creation. Creation has a big effect on us. And then, of course, you got other people. Culture, leadership, politicians, friends, acquaintances, strangers, even the global world out there. It all has an effect on us. Now, here's the problem. Let's wrap it up with this. Here's the problem. The ruined soul. That's how, what Dallas Willard uses. I, I just couldn't improve on that term. The ruined soul. What's happened is, is that all the parts of you has been ruined by sin. Literally. Marred, twisted, perverted, in some wrong direction. Every part of you has been ruined. It's been touched by sin. No longer, some of us in our will and, and all that, we're not even in control of our will. We're some people are addicted to substances and habits and all kinds of things. They don't even have control over their choice anymore. Some of them are controlled by dark spiritual forces. and They, they have no way to get out of it. They, they don't even know how because sin has so marred the heart and so marred the will that they can't even make good choices. And such were some of us. You know what I'm talking about? So, so the heart, the, the, the spirit, the will has been so perverted that's what Jesus taught us to do with the will. What did he teach us to do with the will? Not my will, but yours. This, this is the part that's got to be crucified. That's got to go through the cross for sure. What about my mind? What's in my mind? We've got all kinds of garbage in our mind now. We've got the philosophies of the world, all kinds of... <laughs> Paul called it doctrines of devils and all kinds of things rolling around in our minds and all kinds of perverted mess. You just saw that mess that happened on TV this past week with the Grammys. I mean, the devil was on the TV. Good Lord. I mean, how, how much plainer can it get? And I listen to some of the music that the kids listen to nowadays, and it's not even close to godly. I mean, it's not even close. No, I mean, it's not even close. I 
mean, it's not even close. It's a miles away from what a, a person ought to put in their minds. It, it's so perverted sexually. It's so perverted with the way they look at the world and the way they look at money and the way they look at the opposite sex. It's, it's so twisted and perverted. And we're filling our minds with all this trash and all the, the stuff on the movies and our books and all the, the conversations we're having. What's wrong with our minds? Well, it's so polluted and perverted. How in the world can we do God's will? If it doesn't go through the transfer, it's ruined. It's been ruined by sin. Mine too. You hear people say certain things and you just start giggling and looking at them and they say, watch your dirty mind. Well, they're not too far off, are they? The mind has been so dirtied up by sin. It's been ruined. What about the body? Oh, yeah. Instead of making our body a living sacrifice to God, it's become a living sacrifice to whatever we want to do. And even in the Christian world, a lot of people, and I, I've lived like this at times in my Christian life. I'll give God my heart and my soul as long as I can do whatever I will please in my body. That's the way some people live. That's the way a lot of Christians think they can live. But that's not victory, that's, that's misery. So what the body, it's, it's, it's been twisted up, it's been perverted, it's desires are going in the wrong direction. It's appetites that God had given have been perverted. The body. The body. It doesn't want fruits and vegetables. It wants fried chicken and Reese's peanut butter cups and banana pudding and peanut butter pie and pizza and all the stuff that they're telling us is killing us. You know, you might as well just put it all down. <laughs> it's killing you, isn't it? Because we don't, we don't even crave what's good for us anymore. We don't even crave. You know, you, you, you put, you, you put a, 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 a piece of thick pan crust pizza in front of a kid and a plate of broccoli. And you tell them this one is great for you and it'll do your body good. And they'll still eat that pizza. I'll still eat the pizza. You know what I'm talking about? What's happening with our bodies? It's, it, its appetites have gotten all twisted up. What about our social dynamics? It's been touched by sin greatly. Who do we hang out with? Yeah, a bunch of sinners. And bad co company, what? Corrupts good habits, good morals, right? The social dynamics has been ruined. It's been perverted. Our soul is lost. It's lost. You've heard those saying lost souls. She's just a lost soul. He's just a lost soul. Well, that's true. That... They got lost. They, they got lost. They, they have no idea who they are or who they can be. They have no idea what it is to live life the way God intended it to be. They are absolute. The soul has become lost. And we're disconnected with God. You see what I'm talking about? So what has to happen? What has to happen? This is what we're, we're, we're trying to be about in, in church world. And what I'm trying to be about as, as a teacher and a pastor is that we, we are to take a person that's willing. We are to take a person that's that's ruined. And we are to restore them. We are to help bring them back. We are, we are to help them experience salvation in every single part of them. 
And it's more than just clapping and singing and having a good time and fellowshipping together and just doing a few sermons here and there. It's much more than that. It's getting us through this process of salvation where every single part of me, my will gets redeemed by God. My, my will gets restored. My mind gets renewed. My body gets healed. My body now becomes a living sacrifice for God. And now my social dynamics change. I no longer, not even, I don't even desire to go that direction. I don't even desire to go with that particular person or look at that particular thing or go that direction. My social dynamics get restored and I get redeemed. Jesus becomes my Savior in every single area. The Holy Spirit helps redeem me and bring me back so that I can be the kind of person that loves God with all my heart, with all my soul, with all my mind, and with all my strength, all my muchness. You see what I'm talking about? I'll stop. But this is what God wants for us. This is what Jesus is teaching us, that this is the greatest command. This is the best way to live. The tragedy is, even in the church, very few people find this way. Very few people find this whole process of restoration. A lot of people are saved. But they're broken. You know what I'm talking. You know the difference. So the best way to live: give your life to Jesus. That's first and foremost. Give your life to Jesus. You do it publicly. For a moment, you you can do it privately. What, what, whatever you need to do, find a way to give your life to Jesus and let us know about it. Give your life to Jesus. And then, then, then we step into the, the next phase, what we're on now. Follow the great commandment. Follow this best path forward to where I learn to love God with all my heart, soul, mind, and strength. You've got to learn that. Isn't that something that you've got to learn to love God? But you do. So, so let's learn with every part of us until we're complete and we're whole. And we look like the God who saved us. That's where he's taking us, right? Holy Spirit, help us.